The text this morning is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking at verse 14 to 16. Before I start, I would like to take this time to thank the elders at SF Bible uh, for extending the call for myself and Roger to be able to serve here. Uh, We are excited to be part of this church and to get to know the church family and uh, to get to know you more. Uh, uh, We also like to thank uh, the congregation as a whole for for affirming the vote that uh, the elders decided on us, and uh, we're grateful for just the privilege to be able to serve here. Uh, With that said, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5. Verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And he gives light to all the, for all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Lord, we ask that as we are gathered here today to study your word, that you may uh, give us the ability not just to hear your word, but to know it and then apply it into our our daily lives. Be with us now, in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. There are certain things that we will do in this life that we also do in the next life only perfectly. For example, we will sing praises to God in heaven, and for some of us who may not be, let's just say, could sing in pitch, well, we can look forward to that. One day we'll have this glorified body where we can praise the Lord and sing in perfect pitch. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we will have communion with one another, that we will enjoy fellowship, and uh, when we are in heaven, we get to have that as well, but without uh, any negative thoughts towards anyone, and we think of each other in a much, in a, in the way that we should. we the scripture even tells us that we'll be eating in heaven. Christ said that on the day that he died, that we will one day dwell with him, we'll have a meal together. And these are all things that we can enjoy in this life and in the next life. But the only difference is that we can enjoy it perfectly in the next life because there is no sin. However, there are also things that we do in this life that we will not be able to do in the next life. For example, we won't need to repent of any sin because we are perfect. There will no longer be any marriages in heaven. So for all the singles here that uh, want to enjoy marriage, this is the time to do it. Get at it. We will no longer need to struggle with our faith. We will no longer have to struggle with doubts anymore because our faith will become sight. We will see our Savior face to face, and our faith will become sight. There will be no more doubts in our life. But of all the things that we will not be able to do in the next life, I think one of the things that is most important that we need to be more faithful and to be more diligent in in this life is evangelism. Only now we can go and share the gospel, because when we're in heaven, there will be no one that does not know the Lord. There will be no need for evangelism because everyone in heaven are saved. Scripture commands us to do evangelism. And it's oftentimes we think that evangelism is just simply just saying certain phrases, uh, asking certain questions. And although that's true, that is part of evangelism, 
I think that one thing that can help us be a better evangelist is how we live out our lives. One of the most effective ways that we can evangelize to our loved ones that are not saved is how we live out our faith, the way that we carry ourselves, the way we handle tough situations, the way we respond to difficult people, the way we speak, and every facet of our lives should show the world that we are not of this world, that we belong to the Lord. Everything about us should... Every, everything about us should show us, to show the world that our focus is on Christ. God has placed us in the world with a moral responsibility to share the gospel and to live it out before the world. And we're commanded to make disciples of all nations. We need to pray for opportunity and be faithful by proclaiming and living out the gospel truth. Christians are to be a light of the world because the world is a dark place. And as Christians, that is our mission. We are here to represent Christ. The Bible tells us that we are an ambassador of Christ. We represent a heavenly kingdom, and we are here to plead and beg people to join us in this heavenly place. If the way that we live our lives can draw people to the Lord, then our compromise as Christians can also push people away from Christ. When we profess to be Christians and compromise the morals of Scripture— We undermine our mission here on earth. The people in our lives are in our lives because the Lord placed them there. It is in a way we can see as a stewardship. The Lord placed the non-believers in our lives so that we can be a light to them. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how we can be be better at what we're intended to do. We're to be a light in this world, and we aren't And we aren't being a light to elevate ourselves, to puff ourselves up, to be prideful or to look down on other people. But we are to be a light so that we can point people to the Lord. Sadly, sometimes people around us are not interested in Christianity because we fail to be a light. And I want us to think through that today. I I want to talk about being a light because our life in light of eternity is really short. And we want to maximize our time here on earth as a church here in, uh, as, in San Francisco. We want to maximize our, our ability to be a light so that people in the world can, can get a glimpse of our Savior in hopes that they will see how great our God is and turn from their sins and worship Him. Before I start, the, the, sorry, before I start going to the text, I want to go over the background of the book of Matthew. This book, the, the theme of this book is the kingship of Christ. This book is written with a Jewish audience in mind, and the Jews understood the Old Testament. They knew that, Jesus, that one day there will be a Savior that will come and reconcile them with God. They're looking forward to this king, and the, in this book, and the book of Matthew is, is the answer to that. It, it's supposed to give them the, show them that this is the king that you've been waiting for. Jesus is the one that you've been anticipating for all of these years. And if Jesus is king, if he is the one that is the promised savior of the Old Testament that's fulfilled, then there are ramifications in our lives. And it should change our life. How we live out our lives hinges on what, how we view Christ. It affects both those who reject Christ and those who receive Christ. And it affects our life here and in the next life. That's why in the book of Matthew, it begins with the genealogy. Uh, the Jews under, uh, love genealogies because they can, say, they can show who was from which tribe and where everyone is from. And Jesus was, was a promised savior. In, the, in Matthew 1, you see the genealogy from Adam all the way to, to Joseph. 
And it, it shows you that he is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that was prophesied in Scripture. And the Scripture promised that one day that this, this king will die for us. And he is the one that's here. And it's will show the world and the people reading this book who Jesus is and where he came from. Matthew 2 is the Christmas story. It's the, it's, it, it, it writes down the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth, and how when he came into the world, King Herod was scared because he was afraid that he would be dethroned. So as a way to keep himself on the throne, he decided to, he made a decree to kill all the kids that are under two years old. And because of that, Joseph and Mary fled with Jesus to Egypt, and they were there until Herod died. And then after that, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Matthew 3, uh, it was the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist was there. He was the forerunner. He's the one that's supposed to point people to the Savior. People are supposed to look, hear John the Baptist's message, and they're supposed to say, the guy that he points to, he's the king. He's the one that we're supposed to worship. And that's what happened during the, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus said, John the Baptist said he wasn't worthy enough to untie the sandal of Jesus. Uh, but yet, Jesus told him to baptize him because this is just for now. Just do what, uh, do what I say. And when he got baptized, the sky opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto him. And the Lord said, here's my son who I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 4, it was the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he did not fall into sin. Satan tempted him. He tried to twist some of the Old Testament passages to make Jesus bow down to Satan. And this is supposed to parallel what happened back in Genesis. Remember when Genesis, when Adam was in the garden, Adam and Eve were tempted and they fell into sin. And sin entered into the world. But Jesus was a perfect man that even though he was tempted like we were, he did not fall into any sin. And chapter 4 ends with him recruiting his disciples. Now when we get to chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the the most famous sermon by Jesus. And uh, Jesus, in the beginning of Matthew 5, taught what it means to be a citizen of heaven. If you truly are a citizen of heaven, if you truly are a follower of King Jesus, this is how you're supposed to live out your life. And oftentimes people will look at this and say this is like the great contradiction of Christian living because it seems so backwards from the world. Look at Matthew 5.3. Blessed are all the poor. Uh, Matthew 5.4. Blessed are, the, are those who mourn. These are things that people don't want in this earthly life. But yet Christ has said that these are things that, will, that, that, that constitute a blessed person. And it seems backwards to our world. And when we get to uh, this passage today, we see that, that as, as a citizen of heaven, we will be a light to the world. Now, some theologians and commentators believe that Jesus did not just preach this sermon once. That he pre- preaches in other parts, other times in his, life, in his three-year ministry. Uh, if you look at Luke chapters uh, 8 and 9, you can see there's similar uh, words and similar commands. And for a pastor... That brings me great joy, knowing that it's okay to preach the same sermon more than once. <laughs> so it was like, oh, we've heard this before. It's like, oh, it's okay, it's biblical. Jesus did it. He preached the same sermon more than once. But at the same time, it's convicting to realize that even those that follow Jesus, even those who, who saw him do the miracles, had to hear the same lessons over and over and over again. And we are the same way, are, are we not? If we mastered God's word the very first time we've heard it, we wouldn't need to go to church. We wouldn't need to do Bible study. We, didn't, we wouldn't need to uh, do our own devotions because we would have mastered the very first time we've read it or heard God's word. 
But it's because of our fallenness, because of our own sin, we need to constantly be reminded of the same things over and over and over again. Even as redeemed Christians, we forget God's word, which sometimes means that we forget how to live out God's word. And sadly, we do forget at times that we are a light of the world. As the outreach pastor here, I want to come alongside all of you and remind each and every one of us of our responsibilities here as Christians. Uh, I want to coach us. I want to think through this passage and how we can apply it into our own lives so that we can be a light to the world. Again, this is not to elevate us. It is not to make SFBC seem holier than everyone else. But our hope and joy is that people will come to know the Lord through our faithful living. I want all of us here to be a bright light in light of eternity. We must not take being a light lightly. Our life is short in light of eternity, and we want to shine as bright as possible so that people get a glimpse of our Savior and turn and believe in Him. So how can we do it? How can we fan the light? How can we shine brighter in this time? How can we become a light in this life in light of eternity? Or here are three things that, I do, that we're going to look over today. Three ways in which we can be used by God to be a light to the world. First, we need, must be a Christian. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. At this point of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is looking at his disciples. And he's speaking to them specifically. He's, he's, looking at, he's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to people that, that are in other cults. He's looking specifically at his disciples. And he's telling them, you are the light of the world. He's talking directly to his followers. And though, he's talking to those who've, gave, who've given up everything to follow him, who denied all the things of the earth, things of the, the worldly possessions, and to follow him. He's looking at those people. He's looking at those people that, who call themselves followers of Christ. He's saying, you are the light of the world. And the most basic thing that you must be in order to be a light and to be used by God is to be saved. Before you go and tell others to receive Christ, you must receive Christ yourself. And Jesus knows these people. He knows that these people are following him. And he reminds them that if you are following me, you are a light of the world. And this word light is a common word that's used in scripture. It basically means it's a contrast of darkness. It's the opposite of dark. If you want to be a light, you must be saved. Now, there are a lot of non-Christians in the world that do a lot of great things. And non-Christians cannot be light because they're part of the darkness. And many non-Christians believe that if they can just do all of these good things, that they uh, will be some instruments and be influential into the world. And that is true. People who do good things, who are philanthropists, they, they do great things, and it does impact and have influence in the world. But the, thing, the, re- the difference between the way Christians do good things and the way that non-believers do b- good things is that non-believers do it to dull their own consciences. They, they want to do good things so that they can suppress the sin that's, in, that, that's convicting them. They're trying to suppress their own conscience because sin is, they're reminded of their own sin. As Christians, we don't do that. We point people to Christ when we live out as light in the world. Our goal is not to point to man. Our life is to point to Christ. And it's really, it's really black and white. It's, really, uh, it's either you are light or you are darkness. Jesus is not saying that you can be kind of a light and kind of dark. You either are a light or you're not. You either are saved or you're not. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 reads this. 
But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the, the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. If we are to be like Christ, then that means we are to be a light of the world because Christ is light. Uh, this term light is used to describe Jesus multiple times in Scripture. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Just like the moon is merely a reflection of, from, of the light that comes from the sun, so are we Christians to reflect the Son of God. Jesus became light. Jesus came into the world as a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, and, we, and when he came and fulfilled uh, the Old Testament, he did all things that are pleasing to the Lord. He did, he did all things that are that glorifying to him. And as Christians, we are the same. We are we are, if we were to be like Christ, we need to glorify God in all the things that we do. We follow Christ's example that he set, and everything that he does, we're supposed to emulate so that we can glorify God. Jesus glorified the Father in all that he did. And if we are saved, we get to share the joys of being light bearers to the world. You cannot draw people to Christ if you personally do not know Christ. In light of eternity, not only first do we need to be saved before being used by God as light, but you also need to be open about your faith. You need to be open about Christianity. You're not merely just to profess Christ at church, but be public before the world, which is our next point. Be an open Christian. Verse 14, the last half of verse 14 to verse 15. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Jesus here is stating the obvious. He states that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is probably referring to Jerusalem, which was on a hill on top of Mount Zion, and people were to see and look at this hill and know that there is a city up there. In the Old Testament, they understood that they were supposed to be in one location. They would look at this mountain, and they were supposed to see Israel, and there will be a light to the world, and people all over the world will be drawn towards it because they were open, and they were, and people see that okay, that's where God is. That is God's people. The Jews at the time understood this reference that Christ made here. In the same way, we're supposed to be the same. We're supposed to be open. We're supposed to let people see our lives, and this will be and it's supposed to draw people to Him. This is a metaphor of visibility. The war, the world is supposed to be able to gaze at the city on the hill. Christians are supposed to be like the city. We're supposed to be open so that everyone around us can see us. In our modern time, we hear this quite often. We're like separation of church and state. Whatever you do, all your Christian faith, just leave it at home. Leave it at the church. Don't bring it out. You understand that, what that, that, that the things that they say, that type of statement is actually against what this Bible teaches. We're called not to be hidden. We're called to be out in the open. People are supposed to know that we're Christians. No matter what type of threats come about, we must remember that as Christians, there is no such thing as an invisible Christian. 
Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world, but yet we are supposed to be in the world. 1 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that uh, if, we were, if we want to escape and be away from non-believers, the only way to do so is to leave the planet. Being a light means that the world sees you. Let our light shine to all those who are around us. And as, as I was doing this study, I was thinking about light and the different properties that lights have. Um, and there's three that I came up with. Light gives off life. Life gives life. It gives warmth. And it eliminates darkness. Uh, it gives life. Um, I remember my wife has, loves plants. Uh, she has all these different plants all over the place. And one of the plants that I, I love the most is a sundew. It eats bugs. It's like my favorite plant. Uh, but and when we bought it, they had, it came with this instruction. It was like you had to feed a certain type of water and needs light, or else it will die. It was really specific, and we're like, okay, that's not that hard. Just leave it, at, just leave it in the light, and just feed it flies, and it'll be fine. But it needs light in order to live. Light also give warmth. Uh, I'm standing right in front of you, and there are the lights blasting in my face, and I am a lot warmer than all of you because there are lights hitting me. And you understand that, too, when you're sitting here and there's windows above us. If, it's, uh, if there was no heater here and the only thing we have is this light that comes in, you would sit under the light so they could keep you warm. Light also eliminates darkness. Um, you know, these rooms here, they have these automatic lights, which I love because I don't have to turn on anything. It just turns on by itself. I walk in, I, I see the darkness, I walk in, it becomes light. The lights just turn on instantly. In the same way that light does this in the real world, in the physical world, Christians are supposed to be a light in the spiritual sense. Spiritually, we're supposed to give life. Spiritually, we're supposed to give warmth. And spiritually, we're supposed to eliminate darkness. First, spiritually, when we give life, our light is supposed to point people to Christ. Our life is supposed to give them spiritual life. We're supposed to, have, we're supposed to pray for opportunity to share the gospel so that they could go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. God created us, and he saved us so that we can be used by him to draw others to him. And we warn people of the doom that is to come if they continue to walk in darkness. Spiritually, we're supposed to give warmth to others as well. Uh, we offer hope. Um, yesterday and the day before, a lot of, a lot of the, our church members went to a biblical counseling training. And one of the things that they teach you is to offer hope. You don't just identify their sin by asking a whole bunch of questions. You don't just leave them there suffering, like, oh, I can't let go of the sin. No, you, you give them hope. You show them that through faithfulness to the word, you can get, overcome this sin. You offer hope. And scripture offers hope not just to, for counseling cases, but we offer hope from an eternal perspective. We, should, we, we remind people that even though this life is filled with suffering and pain, we know that when we, if you place your faith in Christ, when you get heaven, there will be no tears, there will be no pain, there will be no suffering. And this is the hope that we as Christians have to offer to the world. We're also spiritual light in the sense that we eliminate darkness. We expose evil. Um, in my old church, uh, we have this uh, evangelistic outreach to the abortion clinic. And it's usually in a building that's unlabeled. And I remember just hearing the stories of people walking with ladies into the building. And the guys there don't even know what's inside the building. Uh, they, uh, they tell them, you know that what's going on in there, right? They're, they're slaughtering babies. And they didn't even know that. And we, expo- we tell them, like, this is why abortion is wrong according to Scripture. This is why it's an offense to God, because babies are made in the image of God. In the same way, we do that with everything else. Again, we don't do it in a prideful way. We don't do it in a self-righteous way. But we point them to Scripture. We show them, this is what God, uh, 
demands of us, and this is what God dictates as good and evil. And if you want to honor him, you must submit to him. This is how we eliminate darkness. We live it out, and we teach people what is sin in the world. Look at verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. When I was studying this, I thought it was strange when the Nazbi used the word hiding under a basket. And that's strange to me because when I'm thinking basket, I'm thinking little flower girls that just toss flowers. Like, why would you put a lamp under a basket? That's pretty big. It'll just light the basket on fire. Um, if you look at the side reference on some of the Bibles, it uses the word peck measure. And the reason that, why it's there is because back then, a peck measure is like the small little cup that you would use to, to diffuse a flame. You know, you, know how, you know how that works? You just, you just snuff out all the oxygen so the fire dies. And people at the time would not just light a lamp and they just diffuse it right away. They don't light it and put it away and light it and put it away because that's absurd. That's a waste of the lamp. Um, people don't waste a light. People just don't waste things like that back then. And likewise, as Christians, we're not called to be a light and then hidden. We're not called to be a light and then get diffused. We're not to hide ourselves from the world, but rather... We're supposed to be in the world and penetrate the darkness. Christians must permeate in every area of society in order to be an agent of the gospel. There's a danger, I think, in our circles to only spend time with Christians. We only hang out and make time for those who are in the faith. Uh, It is easy for us to be loving, kind, and patient, and showing all the fruit of the Spirit to other Christians who are doing the same thing back to you. But it is far more difficult to show love, to show the love of Christ to those who are opposed, who oppose Christianity, or who have a different value system or a different moral system than you, or even some people who may treat you unkindly. Yet God commands us to love out of a love for Him that we love our neighbors, and we cannot do that if we are hidden. How we live out our lives before the world testify in what matters to us. If you call yourself a Christian, what you love and hate, the world will see. They will say, okay, that's what Christians love, and that's what Christians hate. Whatever you say is sin, the world will say, okay, that's what Christians hate, and that's what Christians love. But yet we cannot do any of that if we are hidden from the world. So how you live out your faith as a Christian will either draw people to Christ or have people disgusted by Christ. I had, when I was in college, I had a friend uh, that was transferring to a school up here in the Bay Area. You might know it. It has The mascot is a giant tree. And uh, I remember before he left, he was sharing about how he didn't want people at Stanford to know that he was a Christian. He was in the science field, and he didn't want people to know that he was Christian because all of his research and all of his studies will go to waste. They will just dismiss him because they won't take him seriously. Because they know, he knows that if they know he believes in the Bible, that means that he must believe that God created everything. In a scientific field, they don't believe that God created, created everything. They believe that everything was evolved over thousands, millions and millions of years. And he didn't want his work to come to waste because of his faith. Now, before we think lowly of him or judge this individual, we need to remind ourselves that we, too, have the same tendencies, but just in subtle ways. Uh, sometimes we... We don't evangelize. Sometimes we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we are not Christ-like before those that are non-believers. It means, that some, uh, it means nothing if we call ourselves Christians at a church, and when we leave the church, 
to our non-believing friends and coworkers and family act completely different. There are subtle ways in which we are actually ashamed of the gospel. So let me ask you some questions. What would you do in the church that you will not do outside the church? And vice versa. What will you do before your non-believing friends and family, coworkers, that you will not do in the church? What are some things that you're willing to joke about? What are some things that you're willing to say? What are the things that you're willing to do before your church family that you will not do before your non-believing family? There's a reason why people call Christians hypocrites. It's because we have this dual nature, it seems like. We have this, we have this two-face. We, we're, we're loving at the church, but when we're outside the church, we're not as loving. And this diminishes our ability as being light to the world. When we are light before Christians and not in front of our non-Christians friends, it is absurd. It is a waste of our life. It's like putting the measuring cup over the, the fire and it, after it's lit. If we change our demeanor outside the church, it is just as absurd as lighting the lamp and then diffusing it right away. It's a complete waste. It is absurd to waste a lamp, and it is absurd, it is absurd for us to waste our, our, testim- our opportunity to be a good testimony. Why then would, would we, as light of the world, be hidden from the world? We're called to live and preach the gospel. We're called to be open about being a light. We're called to live our Christ-likeness. How can the world know that God is compassionate if we are not compassionate to them? How would the world know that God is merciful if we are not merciful? How would the world know that God is loving if we aren't willing to be loving openly? Our lives need to be consistent with what the Bible teaches. When we live out our lives openly, we're showing non-Christians what Christianity and the Bible is about. We reflect the scripture, and we need to be visible. The reality in this life is that the world is watching. So how can we be better at being open about our faith? And I think some of you guys do this. You pray before meals. That's, that's, that's one way to do it, and that's good. Uh, but I think the most obvious one is, is to is simply do evangelism. Uh, we pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We build uh, relationships with people. We, de- we, we develop meaningful relationships with them in hopes that we can pour into their life to influence them about what the Bible has to say. It would be willing to do it. it. There's no way around it. We're called to go and witness to people. Yet we, during the time when we're scared and we're alone, we need to ask God to guide us in our speech. Early on, I read Matthew 28. At the end, it said that God will be with us till the end of the age. We can have absolute assurance that every person that we talk to, God is there and he's guiding us. If we're relying, relying on him, he will give us the right words to say. All we have to do is deny ourselves and go and share the gospel with those that, are, that do not know him. We must be open about our faith. Let the world know that we live and follow Jesus. Not only do we need to be open about our faith, but we need to be a loving Christian. We need to not only profess Christ or be open about our faith, we also need to go one step further and be a loving Christian, which is our last point this morning. Be a loving Christian. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This passage is not suggesting that works saves you. This passage is not saying that you need to do something in order to become saved. Rather, you're willing to do good deeds because you are saved. 
Christ's greatest work in our life is what causes us to do good works for others. This world, again, the world can do good works, but their reason is to cover up their sin and to glorify themselves. But as Christians, we can be tempted to do the same thing. We could be tempted to only do good things so we can be recognized. And if we are doing that, we need to repent of it. We need to remember that we do good works to draw people to the Lord. Christ's good works sets a trajectory for all Christians. For, the, for most of us, for most of our non-believing family and friends and co-workers, we are the only Bible that they're ever going to read. For most of us, we are the only Bible that people are ever going to read. And if that's the case, we need to... If that is the case, do we look like what the Bible teaches? Christ gave us a template, and the rest of the epistles and the rest of the New Testament gives us exam, uh, explains why we need to be like Christ. If there's any idol or any sin in your life, turn, cast those away. Turn from those sins and repent. Ask God to give you the grace to see hindrances in your life so that you can be more and more like him. Just like light is both a particle and a wave, so as a Christian must be both a person that professes Christ and obeys Christ. Good works doesn't save you. Good work is just a natural result of your faith in Christ. You cannot be one without the other. This is the cult's favorite passage, James 2.26. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We understand that this isn't saying that salvation is by works, but that it is a natural outcome of your faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, what kind of good works? Well, uh, the scripture does list a few, and we know some of them already. We know, like, thou shalt not kill, we should not lie, uh, we should not commit adultery, we should not steal. We know, we know these. But even non-believers can do those things too. But I think there are some passages in scripture that are imperatives and are commands that we tend to forget, and that diminishes our ability to be light. I'm just going to list a few of them. It was, these are just things that I'm working on in my own life, and things that I'm praying through in my own walk with the Lord, and I hope that this would be something that you, you would consider this week as well. First, having a bad attitude. We, sometimes we assume that in order for us to have a good mood, in order for us to be loving towards people, we need to have our, en- enough sleep, or we need to have our coffee, or we need to or we make sure that our kids are great and are obedient, or that there's no traffic going to work. You know, we would make all these excuses of why we don't have a good attitude. And just, just, just get out of the way. Life is hard. You're living with broken people. We live in a fallen world. Life is going to be hard. But wherever we are, we're called to be faithful to the Lord so that we don't lose footing in gospel influence. First Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's one way we have a bad attitude. Another way we could diminish the light is when we're anxious. When we're anxious. Anxiousness is when we worry about something so much that it paralyzes us. It's not to say that you can't have emotions, but it's to say that what you're controlled by your emotions. Often when something's out of your control and you're worried about it, that, and then you get paralyzed by it, that's anxiousness. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we are anxious, we diminish our opportunity to be a light in the world. When we are anxious, we forget God's provision. Think about it in your own life. When you're at work, 
and they're saying, oh, we need to lay some people off today, how would you respond? Are you confident in the Lord that will provide, even if you lose that job? Or do you become anxious when you are in the classroom and all of your peers are getting internships and jobs and you have not gotten any offers yet? How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with anxiousness? In, in what area of your life do you see that you get anxious about? Whether it's finances or singleness or schooling. Whenever we're anxious and the world sees us, they, they, there's no reason why they would trust in the Lord either. When the world sees us anxious over anything, it makes them wonder why they need to trust in God. Because when we are anxious, it shows that we don't trust God as well. It, seems like it shows that God is not worthy. It shows that God is not willing to care for those that are his own. But when, as Christians, we know that God will provide for all things. So there's no reason for us to be anxious because God loves us. And we need to live as, with that security, knowing that he is there for us. Not only does anxiousness diminish our light, but another way we diminish our light is that we hate those who hate us. When we don't show love to our enemies, we show them that our God is not a God of love. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. If you look at our modern day society, there's, there seems to be like a tension between those that are for a specific lifestyle or for a specific religion. And then there's the way to solve those problems is to eradicate the opponents. You see so much anger and violence and rioting. And the reason why that is is because people are not loving. In our time, it is easy to be bitter and angry at those with opposing views. Yet even people with opposing views, people who are willing, who, who want to destroy the church, we're called to love them. And this is persecution and being hated on and, and have people want to kill you for your faith. It's not new to the Christian faith. You understand that most of church history that, this is, that Christians were persecuted. It's only unique for us in America for the last 200 years or so that is easy uh, we, in places all over the world now, churches uh, are, are burned down, Christians are getting killed, but yet they are not commanded to fight back. They're commanded to be loving to those that hate them. They're called to, be, uh, to pray for them, to pray for those that are, that are against Christ. We need to pray for those who hate Christians and not see them as an enemy, but the mission field. Uh, if you look at, if you just scroll around Facebook for like a few minutes, you'll notice that people tend to be really angry easily. Um, on my feed, it, it, there are some people that who call themselves Christians, but they'll get so excited whenever a Muslim gets killed. They'll show videos of, of them getting blown up and getting killed, and they'll say, God bless America, 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 flag, flag, flag. But you do realize that those people have entered eternity without Christ. You know, we shouldn't be happy when we see people get killed. There should be a, a, a mournfulness in us. We should be sad because we know that they don't know Christ. And they've entered into eternity without knowing Christ. And they're experiencing the wrath of God. The scripture tells us that God doesn't even delight, in the, in, doesn't delight that, the perish, that the wicked perish. So why should we? We need to be willing to love our enemies. And that's what we're, we're called to be. We're called to be people who love. Yes, we're, we're not supposed to compromise truth. We're supposed to love those who hate us. And when we hate on those who hate us, we diminish our opportunity, we diminish our gospel opportunity. 
Not only that, we can dim the light of our testimony when we fail to be compassionate. I think it's easy for us to be compassionate towards those that are in the church or like people that are close to us. Um, you know, we see them hurt and we feel bad. But I think scripture is more than, I think scripture describes the Christian life as more than just feeling bad. That is one component, but we need to be more than that. We need to help those that are suffering. We need to come alongside those who are afflicted. Colossians 3.12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. If and when, and if and when, those people inside the church and outside the church are hurting, we need to be willing to step up. We, will, we need to be willing to display concern for other people over their pain and suffering. And why do we do that? Because God is a God of compassion. God provides for both the just and the unjust. And we need to be compassionate as well. It is our duty to come alongside those who are suffering and bear their burdens. Scripture tells that we are supposed to bear their burdens and again, this will be a picture of what Christ has done. Christ bare the greatest burden for us when he went to the cross on our behalf. He paid the greatest debt so that we can be made right with him. Whether they are friends, family, or coworkers, when we see those that are suffering, we, get to, we have an opportunity to demonstrate compassion to those who are in need. When we don't take the opportunity to show compassion, we lose a chance to show God's compassion. Being compassionate, compassionate demonstrate Christ's compassion to those that are lost. Another way we dim the light is when we continue to grumble. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as light in the world. Thanks to the advent of the smartphone and all the apps that come with it, I think we've become a generation of grumblers and complainers. Whenever the Uber driver doesn't go as fast or does not a good driver, one star. Uh, whenever there's a restaurant that doesn't have the waiters come at the time that I want, one star. And we write about it. We grumble about things. We grumble, we grumble, we grumble, we grumble. And why do we grumble? It's because we feel entitled. We feel that we actually deserve better. We forget that God saved us and that all that he does in our life, including the, different, uh, including the difficult moments, are from him. We forget that God gave us Christ, and that is the greatest act of mercy and grace. And anything that he gives us after that, everything that he gives us after is extension of his grace. We don't deserve anything good. We only, the only thing we do deserve is God's wrath because we've sinned so much against the Lord. But yet he's willing to give us grace like things like food and transportation. And we complain and we complain, we grumble and we grumble because we feel entitled. We believe that we deserve more. But the Bible teaches us that we don't deserve anything. The more we complain and the, world, the more that the world sees us grumble about things, it shows the world that we're not satisfied in Christ, that we need something more to be joyful. As Christians, we have Christ. And that should make us people who are filled with joy and not a grumbling attitude. When we strive to be like Christ, we show the world the beauty and worth of Jesus. If we have a good attitude, if we're not anxious, if we're loving to our enemies, if we're compassionate and we're not grumbling, again, these are just some of the uh, things that Scripture mentions, we show the world who we live for. By submitting to Scripture, 
it just throws the world away. This, this confuses the world. When bad things happen to the world, they're going to be anxious. They're going to complain. But when we refuse to do that, we, be, we, we become a contrast to the world. We become a light in darkness. These good works or characters are displayed, um, and this will show us, this will show the world who Jesus is. And, how, and they're supposed to glorify the Lord in the future. And how? How would non-believers, after seeing our good works, glorify God? Well, they'll see our faith, and they'll want to know about our God, and they'll come to know the faith, and they will see and glorify God, knowing that the Lord has placed Christians in their lives so that they can know him and, and, and know, ultimately, salvation, so that they can be made right with the Lord. And that's how they glorify God. They see, who, they, they see that God has placed us in their life so that we can, they could be an instrument so we could be an instrument to them so they can know who the Lord is. There are many people who are saved here today in this room because of the life of faithful saints. And there are many, many, many more in heaven that are in heaven today because of the faithful living of other saints. And we need to remember that, that our faithful living, is, it's the instrument by which God uses to draw people to him. And our greatest act of love is, is, is eventually to, to share the gospel with them. Your life shows people the joys of being saved. And you tell people the joy that we have in Christ. By, showing the gospel, by sharing the gospel and living the gospel before them, you're doing what, uh, you're doing what Judah said when it, when it talks about how we're called to snatch people away from the fire. That's our job. That is our mission. As Christians, that is our, our, our mission in this life. We're called to be lights and to make disciples of all nations. Wherever you are, whether you're students, you're working, or you're parenting, you understand the people in your life, your neighbors, uh, your, your co-workers. These are, these are the mission field. And you are there as a representative of Christ. You are, you are there as if Christ was there. If Christ was, uh, if Christ was a student, this is how he would act. If Christ was a worker, this is how he would be. And we have, a, we have the opportunity and obligation to do that, to represent Christ, to be a testimony to those all over the world. Jesus is the true light, and we reflect him. And the more faithful we are to Christ, the brighter we will be in the world. This is an imperative because our life in light of eternity, our mission in light of eternity, is not that long. Sometimes, you may, sometimes that means that you will be going through times of suffering. Uh, sometimes it means that you may not get what you want in life. But how you respond to every circumstance will either draw people to the Lord or make people not interested in Christianity altogether. If being faithful means that we fight sin for a day, a week, a month, or even a lifetime, is that, is that not worth it if, if our friends and family around us can know Christ? If we, may we be faithful so that everyone that is not saved will want to know the joys of salvation. Notice at the end of verse 16, it says that, Glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is not just as once, but a general, all-encompassing, continuous glorifying God for all of eternity. And for those who know Christ, for if you are here and you are a Christian, then this is your responsibility. May we remember to be a light in the world so that one day our non-believing friends and family and loved ones will join us in heaven and glorify God for all of eternity. Remember that that in light of eternity, our faithfulness will not, just, will not just be rewarded, but our greatest delight is to see people come to know the Lord. 
in Luke, uh, in, in, in Luke, it tells us that when people come to know faith, if we, people who repent and, and, and give their life to Christ, the angels dance. You know, there's a joy in knowing that people who've turned from their sin and gave their life to the Lord. And it's something that we look forward to. We want people in our life to come to know him. And if you are a non-Christian today, you understand also that you are currently in darkness. No matter how much you think you can hide your sin in the dark, uh, no matter how much you think that no one knows about your sin, God knows. And yet at this very moment, God has given you grace and mercy to turn from your sins and place your faith in him. Right now you are in darkness, but if you die without Christ, you'll be thrown into the outer darkness. As scripture describes that as a place of, na- of basically a place of torment, a place that no one wants to go because it's a place where God's pouring out his wrath onto you. And if you do not know Christ, may you consider today to give your life to the Lord. May you consider drawing to the light that is Christ before it is too late. There are those who know Christ, and I would encourage you to continue to be a light. To, to, to look in your own life, evaluate your own heart, to see what you need to turn away from. And there are those who do not know Christ. And I would plead with you to repent today so that you can join us in heaven and we can glorify the Lord together. Let's pray. Lord, thankful for, we are thankful for this privilege to learn and study your word. And Lord, as we go about our weeks, may you be with us. May you, be, may you work in our lives so that we can be a light to those who do not know you. Lord, give us uh, wisdom and boldness to share the gospel, and may we trust you uh, in light of difficult times. Uh, and Lord, we ask you for grace, and we want you to be glorified in all things. Uh, we pray in your son's precious name. Amen.